The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Lord, uh, we need help here. Um, we, 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 we struggle in our human condition to, to trust the Word of God, to concentrate on the Word of God, to obey the Word of God. But we, we also know that you're on our side and you help us. And so help us now as we, we look at uh, these, these precious words that you have given to us to help us journey through this life. And may it convert those who are lost in the room, may it strengthen those who are faithful, and, and may it challenge those who are, are uh, struggling to stay the course. And uh, most of all, Lord Jesus, grow larger in our sight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. When, looking back at life, there are particular things that you remember well. Like I still remember when I first saw my wife, Sharon. We were in a college class together, and she was sitting in front, and I was sitting in back. And from a distance, I was like, ooh, there's a possibility. Uh, I still remember that. Uh, I still remember the first time I told her I loved her. It was January 17th, uh, 1986. And I still remember it took her a month to reciprocate. <laughs> she, she told me on Valentine's Day that year. Um, I also remember um, signing mortgages. Um, we've, in the process of our journey through life, signed a few mortgages. And uh, some of you have been through this, but the, the, um, the person who shows up typically to your house or wherever you're signing them, there's a stack of paper. And uh, you're signing, in fact, there's one you even sign that says that your signature is actually your signature. I mean, at least I remember doing that. It was just kind of corny. Um, and uh, so there's a stack of legal documents and every one of them you sign verifies things. And you've gone through this process. You found a realtor. You've been pre-approved for your maximum loan. You've searched for houses. You've negotiated a deal. You've signed a purchase and sales agreement and you put down the down payment. And now you're waiting for the appraisal and the home inspection. And once the contract is signed, now you have an obligation to monthly make a payment. Uh, and you join the crowd of home ownerships. <laughs> you know, you just say, I got a house. Well, as we look at Exodus chapter 19, it's actually like, like this contract that God, a covenant that God is making with his people uh, that that he has made all these promises, but he's now saying, okay, you're going to trust me. This is what I want from you. And so our theme this evening is God expects people he has freed to trust him. And uh, just this, just to kind of get to where we are, Exodus 19 is the meeting at the mountain. And uh, this mountain is where in Exodus chapter 3, uh, Moses first gets a call from God in the burning bush, and it keeps showing up. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, verse 12, it says, I will be with you, talking to Moses, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt out, you shall serve God on this mountain. All right? So in Exodus 3, there's a promise that Moses was called to bring the people out of Egypt and bring them to this mountain. Now, if you know nothing about the Bible, this is, a, this is like the big, one of the big stories of the Old Testament that sets up how we understand Jesus. Because we are all enslaved 
like the children of Israel, they were enslaved in Egypt. We were all enslaved in, in, a, in, in, uh, in sin and in brokenness and lostness. Moses becomes this picture of Christ who God sends to lead his people out of the cursed land to the promised land. Okay, so this is sort of, there's a big redemptive story going on here. But part of trusting the one who has freed us from slavery is, is this idea that I'm not just set free from God to be free unto myself because that is not freedom at all. I was meant to be free in Christ, to live in Christ freely. And so this, this text we look at this evening is, is right in the, it's, it's, hinge, it's a hinge right in here. In fact, next week is the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you're doing it one week or not, but, but it, it, this is like on the hinge of God giving the Ten Commandments, which shows his righteous heart. The four, like your relationship with God and the six, your relationship with man. And so we have here, and, and then coming out of this, we get God gives laws for the nation about, and, and here's a test of faith. Do we trust him? Do I obey the one who's delivered me? And so there are, these, there are these civil laws that God gives to his nation, Israel. And then there are worship, um, there's a whole worship structure around a tabernacle, which um, is, is significant to picturing uh, what is to come in Jesus, who would be the great high priest in the tabernacle, the tent of heaven. Uh, it, so everything you're looking at Exodus is pointing, it's pointing, it's pointing. So as we look at this text now, we're seeing that God has set us free. Now, what does he expect? If he set us free, did he set you free and say, okay, go do your own thing? Or does he set us free? By the way, that first thing, God sets you free to do your own thing. No, that's not free to be back enslaved to yourself again. God sets you free to trust him and, and follow his ways and do what he says. So what I'm going to read is verses 1 through 9 of Exodus chapter 19. And uh, let me read this. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord God called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenants, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So, so God speaks to Israel, uh, Moses and said, here's what I want you to tell them. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So it looks like Moses went back up the mountain. In fact, if you look at Exodus, we, it's hard to figure out how many times Moses went up and down the mountain. Just keep that. That's a little like thought. And all the people, okay, uh, verse nine. Um, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. The first thought as we think about this big question, God, or this big thought, God 
God expects um, the people he has freed to trust him. The first thought in verse four, and so what I'm going to do is look at what we've just read, and then the last part is sort of the consecration of everything that happens here. But in verse four, the works of God inspire us to trust him. And so God speaks to Moses and says to Moses, tell the people, and look again in verse four, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. It's, a, it's, it's ironic as, as, as God addresses Moses. He calls them the house of Jacob and, and the nation of Israel. It's I, I, ironic, those two names. Uh, Jacob is a reminder of their humble beginnings. The actual name Jacob, I think it means something like deceptive or deceiver. This is, this is your humble beginnings. But then he calls them a nation of Israel, that God is building into them a great nation. Of course, these are just ex-slaves. They've just been like months out of slavery. And he says, remember what I have done. I was sitting in a small group looking at this text, and the small group, they said, yeah, those people of Israel. Because if you know the story of the people of Israel, uh, God brings them out, and then they, they run into problems. They start to complain. God, you brought us out here to die. Then God delivers them, and a, a little while later, another trouble comes along, and, 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 and this, God delivers them again. And, and he does it in big ways. Like, he says to them, you saw what I did in Egypt, okay? And you've been through the plagues. You know, if you don't know the plagues, it's the plagues, I mean, God does some incredible stuff there. Uh, and I'm not going to try to recount them, but he, he does these things. And then, so then they march out of Egypt, and what does he do? He, he parts the sea, and they, 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 they cross the sea on dry ground. And then what he does after that? He kills the Egyptian army who's coming to, to kill them or re-enslave them. And then soon after that, they run out of water. And what does God do? He brings water to them out of a rock. And, and so God keeps doing these things. Oh, and by the way, he's got this pillar of fire going before them or at, at night and, and a cloud by day. So there's this presence of God. Oh, and they're going to run out of food. Do we get to the manna part yet? They, yeah, so they're getting, they're getting free breakfast every day. Like it rains food. Nobody has to work. It just rains. So they see all this. And these people in this Bible study I was in, they said, you know, how could they not trust God when they saw so much? So being the smart pastor that I was, I said, <laughs> I said, wait, wait a minute. Did not, they did not know that God would ultimately send Jesus to die for their sins. They, they did not know that part of the story yet. Okay, it hadn't happened yet. We know that. And on the third day, Christ rose from the dead, and that's what was witnessed by 500 believers of the first church. So when we look back and say, how could they not trust God when they saw him do so much? We have to kind of hold up the mirror and say, when we don't trust God, and we know about the crucified Christ and the resurrected Christ, I mean, how different are we? We're not. And so part of, part of uh, what God expects for us for those of us who are freed by him from the slavery of sin, is that we would be inspired to trust him by what he has done, by his works. The callous soul forgets once what inspired him. 
And so we're soaking our spiritual feet in the beauty of God's delivering grace. It keeps our feet prepared for the gospel. In other words, a part of our task is to continually recount what God has done. And so in verse 4 it says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, to the Egyptians. Part of your task and my task to keep our trust in God forward thinking is to remember all the work from the cross to our salvation. I came to Jesus as a little four-year-old, and I can still f- tangibly recount the weight of, of, of sin lifting off of me. As I climbed those stairs to see my dad, who was sitting up in his rocking chair in his bedroom reading his Bible, and I, all I knew as a little guy is I, need, I felt the weight of, I needed Jesus on the inside. I didn't know deep theology. I just know I needed Jesus. In fact, uh, last week, um, a guy in our church has a four-year-old, and uh, he sent me this, this text. Um, it, because I, I share that because I, 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 like your young pastor, he inspired me to pick up swimming, so I swim. Not as fast or as long, nor do I shave my head and, you know, just I'm not, I'm not that streamlined, but I'm swimming. And I, for, for part of my discipline when I'm swimming is as I'm swimming along, I try to remember like what, what length I'm on, what lap I'm on. So I'm trying to do 20 lengths, I mean 20 laps, 40 lengths. And for each one, I have either a prayer or a gratitude or sometimes just desperation kind of get through lap 37. Um, but when I, I, every time at, at uh, this is not going to be lap, it's not going to be uh, lap four, it's actually lap nine because this is kind of how my head thinks. In Acts 9, the gospel sh- shined <laughs> On, on Paul, and that for me is the, that that, cha- uh, that nine lap nine or length nine reminds me of when Christ shined on me. Um, but I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to read read this text to you because it's uh, it's moving and it's short, but it's about a four year old. And uh, he says, "Last night Levi told me unprovoked and in complete seriousness that he wanted to be with Jesus forever. He wanted to know where Jesus was because he loves him. He told me he was sorry for his naughtiness and he wanted to be a good boy. I prayed with him and he repeated my words of accepting Jesus into his life forever to be his God and savior. He's four years old. I thought, you, I thought of you and your story. My heart is full because the seed is planted. That I save texts like that uh, because they remind me of what God has done, and this inspires us as we look forward, right? Because looking forward can get be daunting, and so part of the admonition. And so he says, "You, you." Verse four he says, "You, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians." He said, and then he says, "I bore you on eagle's wings." This is picture of a mother eagle somehow carrying her young. Naturalists say this doesn't really happen, but it doesn't matter because it's a it's a figurative picture uh a mother eagle carrying her young from a hazardous place this is how god describes what he did to his people and if you are in christ prior to christ coming to you as an eagle and delivering you and making you a child of god you are in a hazardous place you are destined for an eternity apart from god in a place where there's zero grace there's no presence of his his kindness and it's and it's it's all misery Jesus describes that as hell. Wailing and gnashing teeth, where it's just constant bickering and arguing and selfishness and a place provoked by absolutely anything but God. And if you're in Christ, 
he, like an eagle, has snatched you and carried you away from that. If God had not delivered Israel and had not led them through the Red Sea and had not defeated the Egyptians and not had fed them and not had watered them, they would have not survived. And apart from Christ coming to us and delivering us, we would be hopeless as well. This is the work of God, and it inspires us to trust him with what we're facing. He goes on and says, I, I brought you to myself. I didn't just deliver you and set you for, I brought you to myself for my purposes. Um, I don't know if it's going to actually come to fruition, but uh, I understood that the $20 bill was being, um, plans were to put Harriet Tubman, an African-American abol- um, abolitionist, on the $20 bill to replace, who was that, Jackson? Who's on the 20? Jackson, yeah. Um, she had escaped slavery, and upon entering the free state of Pennsylvania, this is what she wrote. When I found that I had crossed that line, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person. There was such a glory over everything. The sun came like gold to the trees and over the fields, and I felt like I was in heaven. And know what she did? She became part of the Underground Railroad to help deliver hundreds of other slaves. You see, when God set you free, he didn't just set you free from your past, but he set you free from a selfish future. He set you free to be a part of his plan of redemption. God set you free for himself, which was what you were made for. In fact, it says in here, verse, uh, let's see, wherever. I can, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and the world and all who live in it. God claims it as his. You were made for him. He has set you free from a godless, selfish condition and brought you by his work to himself. And so we, we find ourselves, those who are us in Christ, have found ourselves set free from the bondage and penalty of sin by Christ, who has snatched us up like a a mother eagle and taken us from danger and he's brought us to himself this is the work of god and this inspires us now he goes on he's going to give commands in the words of god the words of god will drive us to trust him now he didn't just he didn't just leave us without instruction and and so the next put up the next slide please uh the the words of god drive us that word drive is is it, it it compels us to trust him now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant and this is this is again a picture of jesus too because how well did the israelites keep the covenant flunk failure doesn't mean God didn't love it. It means it showed that out of our obedience, we cannot fulfill the covenant. But there would be one who would come. This is a pointer to the one who would come, who would obey all the commands of Christ, who would, uh, the commands of God, who would be Christ. And out of his obedience to death, we now have the new covenant, salvation. The old covenant actually is a gift to us. It shows us that out of our obedience, we cannot maintain faithfulness to God. It is Christ's faithfulness to God in his pure obedience, which secures our salvation. So the old covenant, new covenant, the old covenant is key pointing to Christ. But as in an application way, as we, as we are freed by God from the slavery of sin, now the words of God drive us, to, it keeps correcting our course and, and keeps calling us to the ways of Jesus. And our, our obedience to his words are not our salvation, 
They, they are part of the evidence that God is at work in us, that we love his word and pursue his word and trust him. We don't obey his word to get to heaven, but because we're going to heaven, we obey his word. Back in this time when Moses lived, there were two types of covenants or contracts, or let's just call them mortgages. There, were, there was a parody, what was called a, uh, of equals. So um, if, if two, two people of equal status made a, a treaty or a covenant, there was, there was one kind of format for this. But then there was another kind um, called the suzerain treaty, which is a strong king making a contract with his vassals. Well, this is a strong king, God, making a covenant with his people. And, and then this leads to the Ten Commandments and the instructions about the tabernacle and the whole book of Leviticus about the whole worship structure and, and the book of Numbers, which prepares the people to enter the promised land 40 years delayed because of their unbelief and rebellion. Um, they couldn't hear it. In fact, they couldn't, the word of God, they could not trust when, when God was directing them. Um, in fact, it may raises the question, how much wandering and wasted time do I have in my life because of unbelief of what God says? Then we had Deuteronomy, the second giving of the, of the, of the law, the retelling of the, the law and the stories of God by Moses before he dies. Ironically, Moses becomes a picture of Christ, but he is not the ultimate deliverer because he doesn't make it into the promised lands, which shows that there's no human savior. There would have to be one who'd come from heaven to become man. But since God was responsible for Israel's freedom and liberty, they were therefore obligated under this covenant to respond in obedience. And here's, here's, here's how I kind of look at this. Is, is if, if God's saving work does not inspire us, his commands will not drive us. If we're not inspired by his saving work, we are not driven by his, his good word. I'm sure he gets quoted here on occasion. Tim Keller says, every sin is cosmic treason. It is the overthrow of the rule of the one to whom you owe everything. But because, sisters and brothers, those of us who have been saved, we have been saved and delivered, our obedience is joy. And so our faith is God says, trust me and do what I say because we look back at his works and we're inspired by what he has done. We obey his voice. These aren't cold regulations, but words from the mouth of our delivering God who says, I have saved you to myself. And so there in verse five, he says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. His voice is a voice, as we know now, of a father. A father who wants nothing more than to make a family. Now it's interesting, as we read in verse 8, the people respond, all that God says we will do. It's one thing to say, I'll do it, God. It's another thing to, to carry it out. But, but as we learn now from, I don't know, 4,000 years later, uh, we look back, or 3,500 years, however the time frame is, we look back, we realize if my 
If my saving work depended upon my obedience, I'm sunk. But if there's one who's obeyed perfectly and has become my savior and saves me by his grace and comes to me and rescues me, now his words inspire me, not because of fear of a God who might, might cast me out, but by a God who's rescued me. This leads us to a third thought. In verse five and six, you shall be my, tr- this, listen to this, God says, Tell, Mo, tells Mo, says to Moses, tell the people, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The wonder of what God is doing will sustain us in trusting him. And so the third point, whoever's got that slide, pop that up there. The wonder of God sustaining sustains us in trusting him. Because what God tells Moses to tell the people is, you, you're not, okay, so this is a contract of a great king to his vassals, a suzerain treaty, but he's not saying, I'm rescuing you to make you my, my servants. He says, you're my treasured possession. You are, you are, you are valued by me in, in great tenderness. In fact, when Christ would die for us, the whole, the whole picture of Christ being glorified by his willing sacrifice and, and the father being glorified by willingly sacrificing his son. But he looks at us and says, I'm doing this because I want to adopt you into my family. And the cross always reminds us of how we are treasured. The, the text here has, it reminds us of a, a New Testament passage in 1 Peter chapter, five, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you, King's Cross congregation, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and slavery into his marvelous light. It's ironic, we get, we, we get labeled in the New Testament, people of Israel in the Old Testament, that you are a kingdom of priests. A, a unique terminology there. Kingdom, princes and princesses. But a priests. Priests are people who, who, who help people approach God, who help people appease the wrath of God, if you think of the, uh, the priest who offers sacrifices. Christ is called our high priest, who o- offers himself to appease the judgment of God because of all of our sins. And now we're called a kingdom that is, that the, the, the citizens of this kingdom are primarily known as people who help represent God to people and people to God. So one of your primary identities is that you are representing this God of the, of the Bible who saves people to the people in your lives. We call this the New Testament being a witness. That's a courtroom term. You are testifying of what God has done in your life. In the Old Testament, we get this view of you are a representative between people and God. That's how he identifies our royal position. And we are in wonder that he would invite us into this work. We are a, a, a holy nation. That worship band called Citizen. I just love the title of that, the band, that they are citizens. So that you shall no longer be called strangers and aliens but from Ephesians 2. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You know, our faith is not fully sight. We sang one of the songs here. Um, 
death has still got a, a high success rate. It, it's pretty, it's, 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 we're, we're headed that way. I was talking to my kids this week, or I think it was Sharon, and I said, you know, six years from now, I'm going to be 60. It's like, it's like, I might as well get the gravestone now. We don't know our, our days are numbered. God says that. But the fact being is our faith is still looking forward. And so the wonder of God sustains us in trusting him. That God is faithful, that all things work together for good. Health and illness, wealth and poverty, peace and turmoil, all work together. The message of the Bible about Christianity is not that God loves me, period. It's that as if I'm the object of, of the reason God, of God, you know, God, God's whole object, his whole focus is me. That's not it. God loves me, period. No. God loves me so that I might make him his ways, his glory, his greatness known among the nations because he's a, he's a good, good father, as the worship song says. He's a glorious God. He's a redeeming God. He would come and live among us. And so as, as uh, and, and, and God makes this claim in this line too. He says, you should be my treasured possession among the peoples. In other words, I'm sending you among the world. And if, if you're familiar with, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, the Old Testament starts with God creating a beautiful world, man falling into, in, into rebellion and darkness and God redeeming one man, Abraham, and saying through you, in you actually, which means in your bodily generations to come, what's coming from you, in you, pointing to Jesus, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That the chosen people's whole job was to be a kingdom, a priest, representing God to man and man to God. And so what does God expect from those he has freed from slavery? That his works inspire us, that his words drive us to continually trust and obey, and that his wonders sustain us. The rest of the text, and I'm going to read it, and we'll conclude with that, uh, because uh, you can put up that last slide, because it, it, it's this consecration. Now that you've got this consecration of the people, that, and, 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 and as I read this, the questions for you to ask is, has he delivered you? Do you know that Christ has rescued you from the slavery of sin as the Egyptians, uh, as the Israelites have been rescued from uh, the slavery of Egypt? Do you trust him? One of the evidences of you knowing Christ is that you're trusting him. And that trust means will you do his commands? Is that part of your life? Whether you're 14 or 44 or 84, it's still the same. It's one of the evidences of genuine saving faith is that you love his teachings and you're pursuing them. Not with perfection because Christ is our perfection, but with passion because he inspires you and drives you. Let me read the rest of this because verse 10 says, The Lord... Uh, when Moses told these words to the people, the words of the people to the Lord, so he went back up the mountain, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and, and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on the mountain in the sight of the people. And you shall set limits for all the people around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be... He, he shall be stoned or shot. 
whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a loud, a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went here because they went back up. Now he come back down again. Went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were, there were thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was, was wrapped in smoke because God had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as they sounded, the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on the Mount, on mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So he's back up again. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, so they... so." Uh, to, uh, to look and many of them perish and let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourselves warned, uh, warned us saying set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. The Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. We got this Moses representing God to the people and people to God. And he's bringing Aaron in, who will find out be the first high priest, who then becomes a model of Jesus, who goes in the Holy of Holies to represent sinful man to holy God. And then, and of course, Jesus becomes this great high priest. This whole vision of God and his power and his might coming down and warning the people, saying, you're not holy, do not come near me, but I love you, I'm coming down to you. you got this vision, and it kind of sets us up for a, 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 a something needs to happen here so that there's no longer this, like, God saying, don't come near me, lest you die, vision going on, which culminates in Christ, who, who then takes care of all of our sin, takes care of all of our guilt, and now we can run into the Holy of Holies. So walk away with these questions. Are you delivered by Jesus? Do you trust him? Do you love his commandments? Are are those evidences of your life? You you end up on one side or the other. There's tension there. Jacob would love to talk about any of this. But at the end of the day, we're left with with this, this thought about God saying, I have freed you. I expect you, I expect you to, to trust me, to trust my work, to trust my word, and be in awe of all that I am doing. Let's pray. Christ, you are good. Thank you for, for, for this, um, these beautiful words. Thank you for this event and the children of Israel's lives that points to so much of what it means to, to be in awe of your work, to respond to your word, and and, and, and to live in awe as we trust you going forward. Help us to believe, Lord. Help us to believe. Help us to respond. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you 
for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.